Hey, hey, welcome everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Alwish's Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. As always, a handful of stuff we're going to get into today in a world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. Trying uh, a little bit of a different look with uh, the Yeti microphone, which we're going to try today. It looks like it's working a little bit better than the other one in the soundboard, so I got that turned off, but whatever. Uh, a couple topics we're going to get into today. Eventually, I want to talk a little bit about confrontations in sports. Um, we'll start out by talking about the NHL, when we talk about fights, how it dif- differentiates from basketball and football and baseball, but that, that's for a little bit later. I was thinking today, because Going back over the last couple of weeks, we think of mistakes that people make and their opportunity to have a an opportunity at redemption. We think of an average person that makes a mistake that requires jail time. And once they're released, once their time has been served, they have the opportunity to go back to life. They get to live their life normal. They have the opportunity to work. Uh, They can obtain a job. There's nothing that restricts them from getting a job. Yet, if we violate something in regards to the court of public opinion, that seems to be, number one, perceived as guilt before innocence. You almost don't have a chance to defend yourself. Your reputation is destroyed forever. Cancel culture, we've seen it as it's basically destroyed the lives of a lot of people some of whom may not necessarily have deserved it. So I was going back to a couple things that happened in the 1980s that were very big for that time. And certainly if they happened now, it would have been led with more of a cancel culture and certainly more in more powerful repercussions than those that ended up violating whatever was violated. And I look at Al Campanis, Longtime general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers from 1968 until he was fired after his comments he made in 1987 with Ted Koppel on Nightline. The celebration of the 40th anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier in Major League Baseball. And Al Campanis was simply asked a question about why there weren't more black managers and there hadn't been a black general manager to that point. He didn't give an answer that Ted Koppel was expecting, and with it, ended up ending the baseball career of Al Campanis, who two days later was fired by the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I'm sure he was held and basically judged for the rest of his life based off of that one particular statement. Now, Jimmy the Greek longtime NFL Today host, pretty much was one of the founding fathers in regards to sports betting. You look at sports betting as they sit in, in, in the world of sports right now, and you know there was no um, FanDuel or DraftKings. There was no legalized sports betting anywhere in the 60s and the 70s. 
And Jimmy DeGreek was able to provide a lot of information. He studied the odds. And a lot of times he was right. Sometimes he was wrong. But a lot of people, particularly bookmakers, depended a lot on what Jimmy DeGreek said. That Jimmy DeGreek probably took it a step further than Al Campanis did. Al Campanis said, hey, blacks may not necessarily have the necessities to handle a job as a field manager or a general manager. And obviously, that was an ignorant statement. That was a statement that, if it was made today, that person may have a hard time getting a job, uh, I don't know, collecting shopping carts in a grocery store. Jimmy DeGreek took it a step further. Jimmy DeGreek talked about how blacks were bred during the time of slavery. So what he said was well, well over the line, even in the time frame that he said it, and certainly resulted in his career ending working for CBS and the NFL today, which he had done for years. So if, if you're listening now and you're like, John, why are you bringing this up? And what is the thesis that you're going to hone in on and actually get into right now? We have made ridiculous and tremendous progress in regards to how we handle somebody that makes a racial statement, a racist statement. And we judge that that is probably an indication of the type of person that they are. Now, in the, in the world that we live in now where everything is on video, certainly everything that I say is going to be held and used against me any way, shape, or form I decide to say it, right? So if I decide that I want to say something that I shouldn't say, then the evidence is there and I will be held and judged for that the rest of my life. All you got to do is play it back. I said this. Back in the 1980s, people took liberties and liberties that probably if, if they had known that what they said was going to be used against them, they would probably have not said what they said. I think people are more guarded now. So I do believe that racism exists. There are racist people out there, but I also believe that they don't send, they don't speak things out in the open public like they normally would behind closed doors. So well, the way I look at it, you the person, any individual person has to be 100% accountable for every and anything that they say at the given moment. Somebody could just flash the microphone on you, flash a camera on you, and it could catch you saying something that you may not normally say. So when it comes to that, and you may ask, all right, why? where are you going with this? I, I think back years ago, people would take more liberties and say something openly that they don't think is going to be number one heard and number two recorded. So that's why I look at Al Campanis and then I look at Jimmy DeGreek, two well-known professionals within their industry, going on national television, being interviewed, there was absolutely no excuse for what they said. Like I said, this wasn't a situation in public where there was a hot mic. Tom Brenneman, longtime sportscaster, worked for Fox for many years, ended up losing his job over something that 
he didn't meant he didn't mean to be said over the airwaves. There was a hot mic somewhere picked up him saying something extremely homophobic, and he had an answer to that and is now judged for that. That's different than Al Campanis going on Nightline saying something that he certainly knew was going to be broadcasted and heard by millions and millions of people. And like I said, Jimmy the Greek, whatever his opinions were, he had to know that he was good, that what he was saying was going to be taken as well over the line, overboard, and not to be said. You think of Rush Limbaugh, the brief time that he worked on for ESPN on the NFL show that they had with Chris Berman and Tom Jackson. For him to do a segment on black quarterbacks and his opinion of black quarterbacks was something that Rush Limbaugh should have known was going to be taken as over the top. So should there be any sort of exoneration when somebody speaks like this? Because I do think it is an indication to how they think and whether the thought process is ignorant or racist is still something that has to be acknowledged that that person does have a problem. And I think of Al Campanis and I ask, and I say this kind of out loud, should he be forgiven for what it is that he said on Nightline. Now, if you don't know anything about Al Campanis, then I would understand why you would believe what you believe. I've spoken on this program to Jim Campanis, Al's son, Jim Campanis Jr., Al's grandson, and Jim played at, Jim uh, Jim uh, Senior played in the major leagues. Jim Junior just missed out on being in the major leagues. He's got a baseball card, but you know, listening to them and the type of toll that what that statement really had on their father and their grandfather really makes a different type of perspective to be put on this. And the number one question is, if somebody says something that over time they realize is wrong and they are remorseful in it, should the general public forgive them? And that gets into the conversation that we have today when it comes to anybody. You think of Jared Porter sending a, a, an inappropriate picture and 62 text messages to a girl that I, I guess over time he realizes was not interested in him. That should result in him losing his job? Maybe. I don't have a problem with him losing his job, but should Jared Porter never work again? And I think if Al Campanis was in the situation that Jared Porter was in, would you say that Al Campanis should never be hired by another Major League Baseball team? To me, if I was interviewing Al Campanis, I would want to know that he was as remorseful as he was. Was this a one-time issue or was this something that would be at risk of happening again if he was employed by me? Al Campanis, for those who don't know, played for the Montreal Royals in 1946 with Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson played second base. Al Campanis played shortstop. They were double play partners. Al Campanis was very instrumental of helping Jackie Robinson become a better defensive second baseman. And Jackie Robinson, up until his death in 1972, spoke wonders and said the most positive things about Al Campanis. Al Campanis, prior to the interview on Nightline with Ted Koppel, had nobody that ever 
put him in regards to racist comments that he had made in the past. Now, does that excuse him for what he said? No. But I do know that he was extremely remorseful. He wishes that never happened. He certainly thought about the last 10 years or so of his life and could have led to his death. Is Al Campanis, should he be branded a racist? My answer is no. But I also think that we should look at each one of these situations when it comes to the court of public opinion and the interest and the desire to want to cancel somebody. And cancel, in most of these cases, means forever. And I think I could, and I hold myself responsible enough to not slip and say something that I should not say, but had I done that, I would feel like I would deserve the opportunity to express my remorse and anybody that I had offended the, op- the, the opportunity, at least from my end, to get forgiveness. Now, that will be up to the listener or the person. Each individual person can listen to anything and say, hey, that person sounded contrite in their apology. Or that person was just doing an apology based off of the sound of it for the sake of apologizing. Now, once again, we're talking about the 1980s, which was a different time than it is now. Listen, a person that makes racist or homophobic or sexually inappropriate to a point where it's harassing a female now is going to be judged a lot differently than they were in the 1980s. And it's a sad truth that a lot of us don't want to admit. Go back to the 70s, to the 60s, to the 50s. Of course, it was worse. And part of that is the fact that society does not accept it. Those that feel the same way are few and far between. So, Once again, do you think, when you think of Al Campana, certainly the statement that he made on Ted Koppel, with Ted Koppel on Nightline, is something that you're going to remember him the most for. But should you remember what Jackie Robinson felt about him? Because if Jackie Robinson thought that there was any issues with Al Campana in regards to race, I'm sure they wouldn't have had as good of a friendship and relationship as they had. Now, Jimmy the Greek worked with Irv Cross for so many years, the late Irv Cross who, who we, we've lost this year, but the, the amount of time that they spent together and worked together, Irv Cross defended Jimmy the Greek, Brent Musburger, who he had an on and off relationship. They didn't necessarily always see eye, see eye to eye. Jimmy the Greek punched Brent Musburger in the face once, right? So, you know, they, don't, they weren't always, you know, best friends. And certainly Brent Musburger... If he if he felt in a, in a way that Jimmy the Greek didn't respect blacks, he probably would have said that. Now, I think Jimmy the Greek was extremely ignorant, and I think he was borderline racist. And if you if you felt or feel that Jimmy the Greek was racist, I, I wouldn't disagree with you. But once again, we're talking about times where people got away with saying things that they would not say now. And I think you transplant those two individuals into this time frame, you put them in a DeLorean, crank it up to 88 miles an hour, and put them in this time frame with the mindset that people have, I think the understanding and the education is there for them to know that they better be very careful if they're willing or thinking to say the things that they said in the late 1980s. And I do think there's a difference. But most importantly, 
do we give people an opportunity, those in the spotlight, that number one, make fools of themselves, but number two, you know, end up having consequences already. You get canceled, sure. That means that you lose your job likely. That means that many people that depend on you all of a sudden turn their back on you. Friends, family, turn their back on you. Is that person going to be given an opportunity to live again? And I don't see that happening in society. And I don't think there's anybody that's out there that's speaking up for it. There's nobody that wants to put their own life and career in jeopardy by sticking up for somebody that did something that is absolutely understood as wrong. It's racist. It's sexist. It's homophobic. That That is all real. But when that person is contrite about it and remorseful about it, can we find it in our hearts to forgive them and most importantly, allow them to live a life again? Do they have to live a life in seclusion because of something they said? And honestly, if your thought is that you're 100% against any sort of forgiveness, then I pray to God that you don't have to be in a situation where you're caught saying something that you shouldn't say because everybody's guilty of it at some point. Somebody makes a statement about somebody and that person walks up sometimes and they hear them and they're like, wow, I wish that person didn't hear that. Or somebody overhears you say something about somebody that they didn't think that you thought that way. It happens to everybody. Like I said, not in a level of racist, you know, sexist, homophobic, anti-Semitic. But for somebody that has said something that they regret, I think they'd like the opportunity to be forgiven. But most importantly, they'd like the opportunity to not live in exile or seclusion and be able to get on with their life. And the question is, Al Campanis, 30, what are we looking, 34, 35 years, 34 years ago, in April, made that statement on Nightline with Ted Koppel. You think it's time that he gets forgiven and gets looked at as a general manager for the Dodgers for as long as he was and to assimilate himself with Jackie Robinson and being his teammate on the Montreal Royals in 1946? Instead of a person that made a terrible, terrible mistake. And Gary jumps in, and I, I always I always appreciate your comments. Uh, he says we have to separate a out a brand who does not want a Campanus or Greek working for their company as it appears to condone the problem. And and I do I, I do respect that and I see that. Um my thought is that it shouldn't end their career. So I believe, Gary, that Campanus should have been fired. Absolutely. There's no question about it. He deserved to be fired for his comments. Jimmy the Greek deserved to be fired for their comments. Now, what they both have in common is they were both up there in age. They were both, uh, I think, in their 70s. So they can kind of ride off into the sunset and live the rest of their life in seclusion. Let's say, though, they were 30 or 40 years old 
And my question would be, can there be enough forgiveness that a person like that, that did something wrong, that said something wrong, and it absolutely can be considered reprehensible what they said, but could that person work again? Or is part of the penalty for them to be banned from working ever again? Because Don Imus, you know, not that long ago, we're talking, what, 15 years ago, made that terrible comment about the Rutgers women's basketball team, got fired, and didn't have a problem getting a job right after that. Was there enough of a, of, of a, of a support behind him to say that that was an awful comment but it doesn't represent the body of work of the individual. And I have a feeling right now that if Don Imus were to say something similar to what he said, you know, in whatever it was, 2006, 2007, I think it would be a lot harder for Don Imus to be employed again. Because think about it, the reason that Don Imus lost his job was because the sponsors for his syndicated television show, which was obviously... Uh, being being uh, on radio and then simulcast on television, and the sponsors for his radio show were like, "I'm gonna I'm gonna drop my sponsorship. I'm not gonna sponsor somebody that speaks like that." So if it wasn't for that, Don Imus at that time, and we're talking 2006, we're not even talking about the 80s right now. Don Imus in 2006 may not have lost his job if it wasn't for the sponsors pulling themselves. Like I said. We've grown very far from where we used to be. Now, we don't condone this type of behavior. But if you think of, and I'm not going to get too far off of sports, but the the allegations against the governor uh, of uh, New York State, you know, there hasn't been anything that has proven. There hasn't been any charges against them. But the court of public opinion paints the governor as a bad person for the way that that he has allegedly conducted himself. You think of other similar situations. Like I said, I brought up the former general manager of the New York Mets, Jared Porter, for him you know, pulling pictures off of his camera roll, which he shouldn't have been doing, and harassing this woman, even if it was in a, a nature to say, hey, this was uh, some unwanted advances. I don't know if that person should ever should be banned from the workforce again. And that's my point. And I, and I do think as, some, as, as, as you get past, I think time does heal things. But most importantly, I think you would want to know that the violator is remorseful in regards to what it is that they did. They understand the levity of the mistake that they made. And they want forgiveness. And they maybe would want to do what they continue to do. Think about it. You have people that commit crimes and then spend the rest of their life trying to educate others about mistakes that they make. We call these rehabilitated criminals. We allow somebody that may have committed rape, may have uh, done drugs or sold drugs. We give them the opportunity to counsel young children and kids about the mistakes that they've made. And we call them rehabilitated criminals. We allow them to use their mistakes to keep others from making the same mistake. But when it comes to the court of public opinion, we don't want to forgive. 
And like I said, a 40-year-old Al Campanis or a 40-year-old Jimmy the Greek, I don't know if they do get a job today. Like I said, I understand that time went by and they were they were up there in age. Nobody's going to hire a 70-year-old Al Campanis to be their general manager, particularly in the in in the context of the way that he lost his job. But I think time does heal. And I don't think I look at Al Campanis as a terrible person. I think he made a terrible statement. I think it was a very ignorant statement. And I'm not even sure that he meant his statement to be as deep as it was. But he had to know that he's on the, the television. He's on Nightline. He's got a video camera in his face. There was somebody doing hair and makeup with him before he was, before he was live. So that part... I, I, I have a hard time understanding. But once again, you, you say something, Ted Koppel gave him the opportunity many times. And I've watched that interview A to Z multiple times. Ted Koppel gives him a chance to step his way back. And he didn't do that once. So he did have that thought in his head that he felt that blacks were inferior. Now maybe he had accepted that they were just as good a baseball players as whites. But he didn't feel like they could manage. He didn't feel like they had the ability to be general managers. And baseball, unfortunately, and even though they never said it, agreed with him for a while. It wasn't until 1975 where Frank Robinson became the first black manager in baseball history. It wasn't until, what, 1990, what are you talking, 93, 94? Or no, I'm sorry, 96, that Bob Watson became the first African-American general manager in baseball. And, and Gary, in regards to Pete Rose, uh, would he be in a Hall of Fame if he was contrite? I think that if he was contrite initially, I think the whole, the whole thing goes over differently. I think he may have been, he's still gotten a band from life like he was by a Bartlett Giamatti. But I do think over time, I think he could have been forgiven. I still believe, and this is something that I will go on record as saying, we could go back to the audio and video of this episode, and only time will tell if I'm right or wrong. I do think Pete Rose gets into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Unfortunately, it'll be after his death. I know he's 80 years old. There's nobody in baseball that realistically thinks that if Pete Rose was reinstated, he'd get a job as a manager or work for any team. Even the Reds, I don't think, would hire him as a consultant at this point. But Pete Rose is going to be reinstated after his death. After there's no threat of Pete Rose being able to harm the game, to involve himself in the game. I mean, we know now that Pete Rose lives in Las Vegas and he, he has he has appearances at a casino five times a week, every week. He's getting compensated for it. But to say that Pete Rose has no ties to any sort of gambling, even at his elderly age of 80, would, would be pretty pretty ignorant. So I think I I do believe Pete Rose, the ball player, is an absolute Hall of Famer, and I think he is more of a Hall of Famer than any player that did steroids. Now, I believe the steroid players should be in the Hall of Fame as well. I think the general public knows 
what, what players are associated with steroids and what players are not associated with steroids. Barry Bonds being in a Hall of Fame for being the all-time home run leader. Anybody that understands baseball will know what he did and what compromised his accomplishments. He still had 762 home runs. He still hit 73 home runs in 2001. Pete Rose, before anybody can associate him with gambling, has 4,250 hits. There's nobody in baseball history that have ever had that many hits. Ichiro did it, but he also spent the first six years of his career in Japan, which, not to make this into a different subject, should not be held against Ichiro, but we understand that the level of baseball that's played in Japan is not considered up that in Major League Baseball. We call it Major League Baseball because the competition is considered to be the best in the world. Pete Rose belongs in the Hall of Fame for being Charlie Hustle. Pete Rose belongs in Baseball Hall of Fame because he had not only the most hits in baseball history, but the most games played, the most at-bats, the most played appearances, the most singles, and oh yeah, no player in baseball history won more games as a player than Pete Rose. And those are outstanding accomplishments which cannot be compromised as far as anything that could be brought up about gambling. He had an issue with gambling. He was a degenerate gambler. He, in regards to compromising the sport, had every was in every position to compromise the sport as a manager, could not do that as a player. And there was nothing ever proven that he compromised the game as a player. So moving on, a couple of small things I wanted to hit up today. Uh, in regards to the Atlanta Hawks when it comes to basketball, Nate McMillan took over um, the team, and the team uh, has at least 22 wins, 10 losses. I know the last couple games uh, I haven't followed, but you're looking at an Atlanta Hawks team that is right behind the Knicks in the Eastern Conference, holding on to the fifth seed. It looks like they're getting in. Now, prior to that, it looks like they were on the outside looking in. Similar to what I brought up in the last show about the Suns. How much can you take the Atlanta Hawks seriously? I think this is a good team, led, of course, by Trey Young. They got a, a, a very balanced young roster. And their coach, Nate McMillan, has gotten a spark out of them. Basically proving the Hawks right by firing Lloyd Pierce. And Lloyd Pierce was a very well-respected basketball man. And at the time, it looked like, hey, one of those coaching changes that are just made for the sake of a coaching change. And you watch the results with Nate McMillan. I think it proves that coaching changes in the NBA actually can have an impact on a team for the better. Now, do I think it it holds the same in the NFL, Major League Baseball, or the NHL? Well, I think the NHL is kind of similar to the NBA. Sometimes you fire a coach, their shelf lives are not considered very long. The NFL, I think it takes a lot more. And I think it's very hard to fire a coach in season in the NFL. And I certainly don't see an example or many examples of a coach being fired in the NFL sparking that team enough to get a run. Now, sometimes a team in the NFL could be that good. And just a different voice, all of a sudden, players feel sorry for themselves. They feel like they got the coach fired. 
they kick it up another level, but it doesn't happen so much in the NFL. It happens in the NBA a lot. It happens in the NHL a lot. You know how I feel about the baseball manager. The baseball manager is the extension of the front office, and it really doesn't matter who holds that chair. That person speaks at the end of games. That person's face resonates with the fan a lot. And the fans are very ignorant in regards to their understanding of the role of a baseball manager. So last thing I wanted to hit up, and as always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck in Scranton, Pennsylvania. So you watched, if you're paying attention to hockey, the Rangers and the Capitals kind of had a little back and forth in regards to Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson is known very well as the type of enforcer that is hated by his opposition. If you're a fan of the Washington Capitals, you'll love Tom Wilson. You think that Tom Wilson is your guy. But if you're a fan of any other team, you look at Tom Wilson as a very dirty player, a player that has built up a reputation. He's had multiple suspensions and multiple fines for actions that you would consider dirty. And if Tom Wilson played for another team other than the Capitals, the Capitals fans would think that Tom Wilson is a dirty player. So an incident happens where he, th- he threw one of the Rangers players, uh, Panarin, onto the ground. Panarin ended up getting hurt. Uh, he ended up punching another player in the back of the head while they were down. And the NHL was not very strict in regards to their, their penalty on Tom Wilson. The Rangers didn't like it. The Rangers point some very strong worded comments to the NHL. And, uh, you know, it, it ends up uh, resulting in the next time that they played because one of the good things about the NHL this year is you have the the tight divisions, the only interdivision play. You know, teams are not playing outside of their division, so they're playing the same team, what, eight times over the course of the season. The Rangers are going to see the Capitals again, and you know this is brewing, and you know it's going to be a situation. So once the first puck is dropped, three fights break out, and it's basically the type of statement that these two teams want at each other. The Rangers want the Capitals back for what Tom Wilson did, and the Capitals, well, they're going to defend themselves. So that's what ends up happening. So what I want to get into here is as we talk about fights as they exist in hockey, what, what I like about fighting in hockey is it's the mano a mano thing. You have a problem with a player on another team, you drop your gloves, you duke it out, and it's just the two of you. You look at the NBA. You used to have some of that, the brawling that existed in the NBA with all the players coming off the benches. And, uh, you know, first David Stern and now Adam Silver have said, if you're on the bench, you better stay on the bench. If you're going to come out onto the court, you will be suspended in an altercation. And that stopped players from doing that. You don't want to be suspended just by coming out trying to hold your teammate back. Baseball still got it all wrong. You know, with these bench-clearing incidents, and some of them aren't even that big of a deal. If it looks like there's a little argument between two players, everybody comes out of the dugout and there's this big huddle. Everybody runs out from the bullpen, which I've said before, there is nothing more embarrassing 
than to see a bunch of clowns come out of, bull, of bullpens, which are located in the outfield, to run onto the field to do what? To hold somebody back that's going to have beer balls and think that they're all of a sudden a tough guy? Baseball, it looks stupid. There should be a rule that should ban players from coming out of the bullpen. The pitchers that come in from the bullpen are not going to be able to, def to defuse any sort of situation. I would actually take it a step further and say anybody outside of the manager that comes out of the dugout during an altercation like that should be suspended. You want to put in something in regards to similar similarities to the NBA where they've actually curtailed the stupidity of these big, massive get-togethers. And a lot of times, it's not like there's a ton of punches being thrown. Sometimes they get a little serious. Sometimes they get a little physical. You've seen some of the brawls in baseball. But mostly, it's like these big huddles. And like I said, you could, you could, if you're a former baseball pitcher or a current baseball pitcher, try to make the case where it's not as clownish or as silly looking when a bunch of players come out of a bullpen while two guys are standing there next to each other with some disagreement. Number one, there's no constructiveness to it whatsoever. Those pitchers coming in from the bullpen are not going to be able to do anything that diffuses the situation. And not to mention, it looks stupid. It does. You may not want to hear that, but it looks stupid. I think baseball should, at a time where they're implementing way too many rules, implement a rule that says, if you don't want to make it specific to just the players that are in the bullpen, but how about anybody that's not in the game at the time? There's nine players on the field at all times. If there is an argument or a little bit of pushing and shoving, sure, the players that are on the field can do something about it to hold the player back. Or if they want to throw a punch, they know they're going to get suspended for the punch. But at least they understand that they can do what they do. Anybody that comes off the bench in baseball should be suspended, just like in the NBA. I want your thoughts on it. A little bit of a recap of the show today. And as always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, we talked a little bit about Al Kim Panis and Jimmy the Greek, and trust me, I in no way, shape, or form will went anywhere close to condoning what either one of them said, which resulted in them losing their jobs, and also resulted in them never getting an opportunity to do anything again. We live in a society now where that type of behavior and that type of feeling is not to be tolerated. But for those that make mistakes, whether it's a racist comment, whether it's a homophobic comment, look at what Tom Brenneman said on a hot mic. He didn't say it live on the air, but he said something that certainly was, was he was embarrassed to have said. He's got to go on and on and do a broadcast where he's talking about what he just said. And he was embarrassed. Should Tom Brenneman never work again? And I will say this, and I really do believe this. It shouldn't be a lifetime sentence. Some of it should have to do with how contrite somebody is. If they really mean what they say. If the action was not an example of what type of person that they are. 
they should have a chance at redemption just like we talk about rehabilitated criminals. Like I said, somebody that has served time in jail for stealing, for for robbing people, for armed robbery, can have the opportunity to speak to group of groups of kids. We we don't allow somebody that may have made an ignorant comment and then realizes that they should not have said that, but to teach others to maybe not make the same mistakes. That's all I'm getting at. We talk about the NBA, the Atlanta Hawks. Could they really make a run in the Eastern Conference this year? I don't think so. But I, I think it's it's impressive what they've done. It's impressive the impact that the coaching change has made with the Atlanta Hawks. And you look at the Hawks, and I kind of look put them in the same category as the Knicks. Good years, I think expectations are going to be a little bit higher for next year. But when it comes down to the Eastern Conference, it's going to be hard to get through the Nets if they have KD and Harden and Kyrie on the court at the same time. Now, that's far from a guarantee because it doesn't seem like they ever play together. When you know when Harden and Durant are healthy, all of a sudden Kyrie is you know DNP um, didn't want to. But I, I like the Nets out of the Eastern Conference if those three guys are healthy. But as always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side.